Welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You just heard a clip from the song Right Now by Daniel Rylander, a musical artist from Northeast Ohio. Daniel is our featured artist tonight, so at the end of the podcast, we'll play the whole song for you, and we'll tell you how you can learn more about his music and upcoming performances. And if you're making original music in Ohio, we'd love to feature you right here on Ohio Mysteries. Just shoot us an email on over to feedback at ohiomysteries.com and tell us a little bit about yourself. What if you heard someone pelting your house with rocks, then investigated to find yourself face to face with a large hairy beast on two legs? It was only a matter of time before we got to this topic You know what we're talking about, especially if you're a BFF, Bigfoot fan. So throw another log on the fire and settle in, campers. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller, award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years researching these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everyone. But Steve, I'm not going to be your main storyteller tonight. With us is another award-winning journalist, Barbara Galloway, a former reporter with the Akron Beacon Journal and a retired teacher with the Alliance School District. Thanks for being with us, Barb. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. In 1978, Steve, Barb was the first journalist to bring to light police reports that were being filed over sightings of a creature of unknown origin that has come to be called the Minerva Monster. She also served as a consultant for a 2015 documentary of the same name. So, Barb, Steve mentioned Bigfoot, but the people who witnessed this thing over a number of years always seemed careful not to use that term, and that always impressed me. They need to be accurate and and not hyperbolic. So we're going to put aside the word Bigfoot for now. So, Barb, set the stage for us, the geographic location, Minerva. What is this community, this area like? It's kind of the epitome of a rural community, and in all the best ways, too. We've been here 42 years, but we're newbies. Uh, The folks who settled this uh, area, um, my younger son was a history major, and he researched this. The uh, folks in here were mostly German immigrants, and so, for instance, our neighbors and friends, uh, the Hans, uh, their families uh, were deeded their farm by Jefferson. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, wow, real historical um, connection So it was there. settled by mostly Germans, and it became a farm area uh, right off the bat. Down here uh, by the railroad tracks, there was a place called Moultrie, and you look in plat maps in the 17, 1800s, and there was an entire village there with houses right next to each other, a sawmill, a feed mill, a grist mill. Uh, it was a booming little community there. What I like about it is I go down to Minerva to shop, and people know you, and suddenly you've got five folks in the butcher department uh, of Kishman's, you know, helping you find this and that and helping you cut up your meat in just the right size and they carry your groceries out and that small town charm yeah and then you go to the uh the, to the yoder store and um they yeah. they know you too and uh they will help you you know find the latest things and they've got 
lots of local things like local honey, um, living lettuce that is grown on a, a, a horticulture farm uh, not too far from here in a, in a greenhouse. Yeah, it's uh, Is there any the other industry around here other than agricultural? Is everybody related agriculture in um, some way, or is there like a big it's commercial more, enterprise that's doing something really else? There's really no more or? commercial enterprise anymore. There's okay. a coal for... Um, there's a couple of shops, a couple of factories, but they're kind of downsizing nowadays. Um, so there was industry, there was the creek, there, uh, you know, in the canal days, uh, and then there was the railroad, and um, so all of those things have gone that made made it a booming community in the first place. And so the agriculture and the farming community is kind of what's left after everything else is disappeared i guess that's interesting that you know like she's describing she's going into uh, a store and they're helping her carry her groceries and I, I, i've never seen that i've grown up in akron so mm -hmm. that's that's yeah that doesn't pretty happen wild it's still there you know it's still going on <laughs> mm -hmm. and obviously being a an agricultural community this is a community that spends a lot of time outdoors they know they're outdoors mm -hmm. and they know what's supposed to be going on out there right which is why it might be a little bit more believable when somebody stands up and says, I saw something I've never seen before mm -hmm. outdoors. Mm -hmm. Let's get to know you. We are podcasting from your home in Minerva. Is this Minerva or, or Paris Township? Well, technically, Minerva address is West Township in Columbiana County. All right. And were you living here in 1978? Yes, I was. And I had just started at the Beacon Journal in that January. Oh, so you were a cub reporter. I was a cub reporter. And still living on a farm. And living on a farm. Now, clearly we can see this is a farm, and so you must be pretty familiar with all manner of animals, domestic and wild. That was the reason that I was assigned the story. Because I lived on a farm, I got every animal story that came along. So this one came to an editor's attention. Tell us about the day you were assigned to this. What did the Beacon know at that point? What did they say to you when they wanted you to cover this? A correspondent had gone to the Star County Sheriff's Department and found this report um, where the family had reported that their German Shepherd dog had been found pulled out of its collar and a few feet away lying dead and they didn't know how that could have possibly happened. And Steve mentioned uh, there's uh, incidents of the, somebody pelting their house and then um, this unusual ammonia-like smell that they kept smelling. They thought there was vandals uh, possibly in the area, and that's kind of the reason that they had gotten this German Shepherd dog in the first place from a neighbor. There had been some vandalism. The family was next to a trailer park. So when they called the sheriff's department after seeing this big hairy thing, they did not know if it was somebody dressed up in a gorilla suit, harassing them, attacking them, you know, planning to vandalize the house, steal something, break in, or whatever. But they were very frightened. So um, that's why they let's, ended let's up Let's go back it. to some of the specifics there. Now you mm -hmm. said... They got the dog for some protection because they had already been experiencing this. Do you know how long that had been going on before they called the police? Uh, this, this was in August of 78, and I guess that summer there had been some vandalism in, uh, among the neighbors and 
um, the folks in the trailer park next door. And what did the vandalism amount to? Breaking in, stealing this and that, or, you know, just vandalizing the houses, things like that. So this ultimately was not something that they were going to credit with the, the hairy beast. That they, they actually had human vandals in yeah. the area that they got yeah. the dog for. Mm -hmm. Okay. But when they saw this thing, um, they didn't know if it was somebody a vandal dressed up in a monkey suit or something right or whatever but this and it scared them enough that they all ran into the house and and called the sheriff's department so that is how the report started so this comes to you basically it's a police report at this mm -hmm. time yeah. and your editor says go down to minerva and and check this out mm -hmm. and was the family willing to talk to you were they yes they were they were very good um uh, deputy at the time, now Captain, retired, uh, James Shannon, uh, was the one from the Sheriff's Department assigned to it, and he was down there also. And uh, the late Ted Walls, our photographer, um, was down there with me, taking pictures many times. And we went back and went back uh, and interviewed the family as these stories developed. Other neighbors in the area started seeing it too. It came across the road and uh, was in somebody's headlights, and they reported it also. Um, now, the original family, they were the Catons, Catons right? Yes. And there were several of them, right? Yes. So they had many eyewitnesses many. to that original report yeah. that, that was called into the police. Yes, they came on a weekend, or they reported it on a weekend when their adult children always came for the weekend to visit, and there were some neighbors there uh, and some other relatives, so there was a, a fairly large group. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Hello, we have this superb podcast called We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by Billy Joel. It is the most original, fascinating, and random way to learn the story of the 20th century. Oh, pretty darned random. And we are joined by some pretty incredible guests. I only wrote stuff that I wanted to hear. If it turned out to be a hit, it was pure dumb luck. With me, Katie Puckrick. And me, Tom Fordyce. This is We Didn't Start the Fire, the only podcast started by me, Billy Joel. So let's get into the details of that very night. Did it start with the pelting of the rocks? Uh, yeah, it kind of started with the pelting of the rocks, and they had been experiencing that, hearing rocks hitting their homes for a couple of weeks. So they're sitting in the, in the house, um, and it sounds like someone's tossing mm -hmm. rocks at them. What do, they, what do they do? And then it happened that the kids were outside. Howie Caton, who's in the documentary, was a teenager at the time, and some of his friends in the neighborhood kids were outside playing and then they saw this huge uh, thing on the bank. It was a strip mine in back of their house and so it was all grown over with multiflora rows and weeds and everything and there was this huge being, they always called it the creature. Was it daylight? Could they see uh, it? It was, was becoming dusk. Okay. So they could so they see had it clearly. Yeah. How did they describe it? And 
they always described it in exactly the same way. And Denny Haas, one of our Beacon Journal artists, actually came down and interviewed all these folks who had seen it, including some of the neighbors, did a drawing, um, sort of like a police drawing, a police sketch. They all described it exactly the same way. They could not see facial features. They described it as over six feet, maybe approaching seven feet, covered with hair, but yet they could tell that it was very muscular. Um, they always described it as having a big upper torso and kind of short bowed legs. And they always described it with uh, its hands with palms out. And so when Danny came down to talk to these folks, he got the same description from every single one of them. I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. I was three years old at this time. I understand <laughs> that I am six foot seven. 300 pounds, uh -huh. but I was three years old at the time. I was not around. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listeners, you can't see Steve, but we do have our own Bigfoot Right, here. I wear size 18 shoes. And so. he does well, have some yeah. scruff. Yeah. You could have been, you <laughs> been right. a suspect at that point. You would have been a suspect. <laughs> well, let me ask you, you said they couldn't see facial features. Mm -hmm. That's not because it was dark. That's because there was hair, the hair in front of its face? Okay. And another reason that they called the sheriff's department was that after they had seen this thing initially up on the bank, they all ran inside. Mrs. Caton, and I think her husband had gotten a shotgun, uh, and I think it was a nephew who got a handgun, because they were really frightened. And they were all sitting around the kitchen table. And the next thing you know, this thing appears at the window, at the kitchen window. It, it seems to be looking in at them, and there's a floodlight right above the window, so they can see it very clearly. And they can see that, no, we can't see eyes, just the hairy features of the face. Were they clear on how close it was to their window? Within a few feet. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Window. That's scary. Yes, and it, it seemed to be looking, again, be, they couldn't see their, its eyes, but they, it seemed to be looking in at them. And you know, I a couple forget. of nights ago, I heard noises, and I in the middle of the night, and I opened my curtain, and there were two skunks <laughs> mating about five That's feet. That's scary too. And that terrified me. I can't even imagine what I probably would have ran screaming from the house if I pulled that curtain back mm -hmm. and saw some six, seven foot beast with hair on its face staring yeah. back at me. And there so. was no curtain; they yeah. could see it very clearly. And one of them, uh, perhaps the nephew, um, pointed a gun at it, and it didn't move. And it didn't move for quite some time, and then it sort of wandered away on its own. And that told them at the time, okay, it's not somebody dressed up in a gorilla suit trying to scare us. It's not a person, because the person would have run. Yeah, my dad would do that. My dad would, you know, put on a gorilla mask and scare his kids, you know. Would he? Yeah. Did he ever pull a shotgun on you? No, unfortunately. No, he not If he did, you would have flinched, That's right? That's right. I would have flinched. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, are you kind of impressed that, I mean, this thing did not flinch and did not run away. Does that tell you something? Yeah, it tells me it was, it, it's, it was obviously something that wasn't human. I mean, obviously humans have a reaction to when you're pointing a gun at them or with somebody who's really, really drunk. Mm -hmm. I don't think how, yeah, even if you're drunk, I'm, I don't know how you stop from having some reaction to somebody lifting a shotgun at you. Mm -hmm. And this thing, they say, had no reaction. Had no reaction. And That's just an wandered impressive. off and it no. felt like it. 
Wow. Um, so at that point, they called the sheriff's department, and uh, Captain Shannon and his partner showed up. And when he got out of the car, he remembers the intense ammonia sulfur type smell. Let's get into that. Why is that important? Because later on, at this time, Bigfoot was kind of an unknown. They had just invented the term Bigfoot, and it was, you know, somebody out in Washington State uh, who had seen it, and it was not widely known or, you know, people didn't oh. really know about Bigfoot in those days. Later on, there was quite a few reports that this was one of the things associated with the ammonia Bigfoot smell. sightings was the ammonia-type sulfur smell. When I heard that, I thought, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's urine. I mean, maybe it's something that smelled like big enough swamp. that the swamp in the the strip mine that was overgrown and just you know left after they stripped it uh, for coal um, kind of smelled like that. So it might have been an indication that this thing was living was there living and there. bringing the smell with it. And uh, the thing that I found odd, being on a farm and being familiar with animals and woods and things like that is um, in back of their uh, house as you walked up the, the bank of the strip mine pit um, and Captain Shannon was the one who found this because he and his partner came with uh, jeeps and everything and explored the whole area in the, in the next days um, but he found this one peculiar area uh, right at the edge of the strip mine pit um, where it was completely overgrown with multiflora rose. And on the farm, we're very familiar with that. It was... Multiflora, multiflora rose? rose. And I think it was, you know, planted as a way to get rid of other weeds at some point, but then it became a noxious weed of itself. It's thorny, and it just is thick, and you can't even get through it. If, if you come out the other side of a multiflora rose bush that you walk through, you were going to look like you've been a victim of the slasher or something. So I thought it was very odd that we found a hollowed out, it almost looked like somebody had cut all the multiflora rose in about a six foot around area. It was at least as tall as me. I was five foot four. Um, sort of like a tunnel? Sort of like a tunnel leading to the bottom of this strip mine. Pit, and at the bottom of it, there was all these crushed leaves and branches and things like that as though something had been sleeping there. And we thought, what in the world would have tunneled out of the multiflora rose and be, you know, camping out at the bottom? It went down about eight feet. So it kind say. of looked like bedding. Kind of looked like an animal had Could, been sleeping there. All right. Did it look like a big animal? Like a big animal. Did you see it yourself? There. Yes. Okay. And so the, uh, Captain Shannon... And I had um, looked at it quite frequently, and we're trying to figure it out. Do you remember his reaction to those scenes, the, the, the tunnel through the multiflora rose, the bedding that smashed down? What was Captain Shannon's, you know, what was he, he expressing at that time? Um, he kept saying, even 40 years later, that um, he was so impressed with these folks because they were genuinely frightened, and they all told the same story. And there was no sign that um, they were making this up or that they had, you know, schemed to make some sort of hoax or anything like that. They were genuinely afraid. They were genuinely disturbed. And he didn't know what he was looking for or how to explain it, but he was investigating. 
in a very serious manner. Like I said, him and his partner um, brought Jeeps in and looked all over the area then in the next several days. We spent, Ted Walls and I and uh, Deputy Shannon spent I don't know how many nights on the Caton's front porch waiting to see if this thing would possibly show up. Unfortunately, it didn't. While you we wanted it there, to throw rocks at you? We were waiting. <laughs> we were targets. We were, we were out there. But he... He took some hair samples. Of, now, where did he find the hair? On the on a nail that was sticking out of an old chicken coop. Was this in the vicinity of where they right saw the creature? House, right next to the house. Okay. Right next to the garden. There were often big footprints in the garden. And I don't know if it was him or some Bigfoot study person who came in and tried to make a plaster cast of the, of the footprints and failed. Um, so we never Did got Did you that. or he see the footprint? No, but... Um, the Caton saw it? The Caton saw it, and somebody else did come in and try to make a plaster cast of it. Now, would um, they have recognized... I mean, are they hunters? Would they have recognized, no. like, oh, that's a bare footprint, if it no. was? The Ohio Department of Natural Resources, uh, Division of Wildlife, I talked to them quite a bit, and they said, no, it cannot possibly be a bear... Um, there's no bears in this vicinity or, or things like that. Um, no bobcats, no not bobcats, um, no mountain lions, things like that. So no. Wow, this can't so they be a were bear. ruling out they a were, lot of the things you would bear, immediately go to. But Cap, our uh, deputy Shannon at the time had um, the hair sample and some other things. He found a jawbone, which turned out to be a cow's. But uh, he sent them to Malone College. Um, to a biology professor there to be analyzed, and the biology professor could not identify what the hair samples came from. Um, Is there a reason there would be a cow jawbone in that area? Would that be normal? Because, yeah, there was cows in that area, and it okay. was sort of a pasture for a while, I guess. So, yeah, that would so be... So the monster wanted some steak. Or... <laughs> did, you, did you find a bottle of A1 sauce back there? As far as we know, he was a vegetarian. Okay. After oh, all that's this, interesting. After all this settled down, and the Catons, unfortunately, were just harassed mercilessly after these reports came out. and after Harassed my, by other people? Other people. Media? Media. Not so much media, but other people came. The, the Bigfoot hunters and the crazies came. After my stories went out on the wire, suddenly they were getting reporters calling from Japan, France... Uh, everywhere in the United States and the Bigfoot hunters and Ted Walls has a picture um, with one of the stories of one of these yahoos with their rifle and their beer and their Dobermans who are going to show up and kill Bigfoot and and these so, aren't necessarily people from this area they're coming in from coming around in the country from all over the place you need beer you need beer to hunt mm -hmm. <laughs> Bigfoot yes, yes. So, um, eventually, Deputy Shannon and his partner were kind of uh, forced to keep people out rather than just being down there investigating. They had to keep people out. But, yeah, after I did the stories and they went out on the wire, everybody descended and God, they what, were really So the first thought of these guys is, let's go, let's go find it and shoot it? I yes. Mean, that was their first thought. Oh, that's yes. horrifying. So, yeah. I mean, if we were fortunate enough to mm -hmm. find... Another species. They were going to shoot. Why? They want to kill it. Your first thought. Oh, we got to kill it. Drink beer. Well, you know what? If you're going to kill yeah. the only example of a, of a new mm -hmm. species, you better be drunk when you do it. Yeah. Right. There's no other right. excuse right. for that. So, yes, there was quite a bit of that. So, after that, they did not want to be interviewed anymore. They sort of dropped out of public eye. 
they did let me interview them, I think, one or two years later for sort of an anniversary story because they trusted me. But um, after that, they didn't want to. But I remember talking to Mrs. Caton, and she said she would all, often put out vegetables and then see these big footprints in the morning in her garden, and the vegetables would be gone. So oh, that's, that's awesome. why we vegetarian. Vegetarian. Don't think he's. I feel either. a lot better actually. I won't be afraid now. Yeah. If no? I see book, no. If I see Bigfoot, I'm not going to be afraid. If what it's about a on her ride home? What if you see him on a ride home? <laughs> I, I don't have anything, any vegetables to give him, but okay. I'm not going to feel like he I'm wants to eat me. I'm going to bet you're going to be scared. <laughs> I'm not going to be scared. I'm going to pull out my cell phone. You didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> we, don't have have bear, phones. we do not have bear or a gun in the vehicle, so. That's okay. We okay. have you. All right. And you are his match. <laughs> That's true. That's you true. are about the same height, <laughs> and you got the, the facial hair. Yes. I got you. That's mm -hmm. all I need. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, I should mention um, the movie that you were a consultant on was a documentary by um, filmmaker Seth Breedlove, mm -hmm. who has a filming company called Small Town Monsters. Mm -hmm. And so I watched it. If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Just search for Minerva Monsters and, and you can see the film. And um, I, one thing that impressed me with the story was Deputy Shannon... Um, saying that these people were so terrified that he ended up hanging out with them for a couple yes. of hours just yes. to keep reassuring them. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, if, if you're in his position, you're probably really good at reading people. Mm -hmm. And if he is seeing genuine, I, I think he would be able to see fake fear. Yes. You know, if they were trying to pull something over. Yes. And if he was that convinced mm -hmm. that they were fearful of this thing, that, that he had to hang around and just put them at ease... That, that says a lot to me. Yes, and every time he came back, it was the same. They always had the same story. They um, always were appreciative of his coming to well, you know what, them. and I can say the same thing of you as yeah. a reporter. I mean, you're trained to be mm -hmm. an observer, yes. to read personalities and characters, mm -hmm. and, and did you feel the same way? Absolutely. That there's no these way these guys are exaggerating. salt of the earth um, people, um, yes, just really down-to-earth, really good people, and they were not making this up. They were genuinely terrified. They were genuinely concerned about this and um, never changed their story, and that's what impressed us. Now, in uh, Seth Breedlove's documentary, uh, he interviewed at least three other people mm -hmm. who had seen this thing as kids. Yes, and some of them were in the 50s. It, uh, okay, so even twenty years yes, before so this signing. Yes, before that. Did you um, interview any of them? No, um, I was not aware of them at the time. Okay. Um, they yeah, we had a, a John Hawkins. Mm -hmm. uh, he said he was ten. I think he was maybe one in the fifties. Mm -hmm. He talks about claw marks in the house. Yes, and talking about his dad going out to the outhouse, which is all they had around here then. And uh, seeing this thing in the little window of the outhouse and being terrified and running back in the house and getting a shotgun. And yeah, he said his dad stayed up all night with all that night shotgun. With shotgun so, waiting. Yeah. So, yes. And then there was a Scott Finnegan. He said he was eight at the time. Mm -hmm. And his dad had reported seeing this thing. And then he himself, when he was 15, he was mm -hmm. out fishing on a boat. Mm -hmm. Do you remember his story? Yes, I remember his story. And uh, he said he and his friends saw it and went running screaming to his house or something. And his mom said, yeah, I don't believe you. You know, Go back outside. And, and they were just terrified. And they said the thing kind of chased them. Uh, 
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. So they went back. They went back to sacrifice themselves to the Kraken, (laughs) and then it chased them. What it was like in those days? You were just, you know, your mom locked the door. No, go out and play. Get back out there. Get back out there. Don't be a wuss. Go play catch with it. Uh, He said that there was a a reputation for that area where they they had been calling it the Hairy Witch. Yes, the Hairy Witch, I guess. And again, that was the name for it back in the fifties and sixties, apparently. And then in the 70s, it was the creature, the hairy creature, but they never called it Bigfoot. They just called it the hairy, the hairy thing or the hairy creature. I really want to know what this thing is. There's something there. I want to know what it something is. There. Can't explain what it is, but oh, yeah. That is wild. So the, the story kind of died down, but the creature did not actually disappear right you ended up doing an anniversary story and they were Mm -hmm. reporting what did they report were they still physically seeing it um sometimes they were still getting rocks on their house and uh sometimes as i said they would put the mom would put vegetables out on purpose and they would be gone the next morning and there's some what's the rock thing don't know but uh is there a theory there's, Did it want the attention? It's another thing that is associated sometimes with Bigfoot sightings, along with the smell. Does anybody have a theory on what it is? Are they Not like trying to get attention, Not like look over heard. here? Maybe they're they're trying to you know make some connection. I don't know, Steve. When you were when you were over there, uh, you know, waiting on the the porch, seeing if did you experience anything that was kind of awkward? 
No, no. It just seemed Did very... the crickets fall silent? The, or... Yeah, the crickets always fell silent. Whatever night noises in, in August, it's pretty loud around here with all the crickets and the, and the cicadas and everything else. And whenever they would see this thing, um, the crickets would be quiet and there would be silence. Did that ever happen Along when you were smell. on the porch? And no, unfortunately. So you never there. got the smell? Never got the smell. You've so, got to be supremely disappointed. Yes, I was kind of disappointed. and yeah. Wow. But not, not because we didn't try. We were there for How many nights? I mean, oh, how many I don't even do know. We were, for weeks, I would say, we were down there on a regular basis. After work, we would just go down and... I mean, they must not so, live all that far from you, right? No, they're they're probably not even 15 minutes. Okay, yeah. all right. So it's just sort of like I finish my shift, mm -hmm. let me go sit on the porch and yeah, see if so you know, Ted, the Ted would sometimes around. come down and Deputy Shannon would sometimes go down and we would just sit on the porch and see what we could see and talk to the Catons and yeah, so we kind of became friends. Wow. That's kind of neat. So give me your feelings. What, what do you think? I mean, I know you're a journalist. Uh, what do you do you believe that there's something out there or do you really believe that these people just seen something and and I, that there's a more practical explanation i cannot find the practical explanation um i have no doubt that these people saw it and there have been recent sightings i think in the documentary um there's a, a fellow who was out hunting and even somebody i know who uh lives in a uh, wooded area around that um, place um, thinks he saw it too in recent years. Um, I cannot explain what it is or why there is no body ever found or no evidence. That's ever what found. I was going to bring up is that you know people who are in the Bigfoot, you think we would see some you bodies? Think we would see you know, a body, and every body that they've found so far has proven to be a hoax. But you know, somebody right. else told me once: how many times you're walking through the woods and you find skeletons of animals? Mm -hmm. You don't. Mm -hmm. That's true. You know. So if it dies in the woods, you know, unless it's on a path that somebody's coming across, it may have the time to decompose, be ferreted away by other animals. You know, Most likely ferreted away by other animals. Yeah. In the woods. Um, you know, we have woods back here and, and we find deer sheds and, and skeletons occasionally and okay. things like that. So, you know, the hunters are around here and as well as the farmers. That's spotting. I'm um, talking like a city girl. <laughs> you know what? I've never seen a dead animal skeleton laying in the middle of downtown Akron. So. Unfortunately, I have. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. In Akron? No, not in Akron. <laughs> okay. I think one of the most convincing things is that, you know, the family wouldn't really put themselves through this mm -hmm. if it was if it was made up. Yes, because they got so much grief afterwards. I think this area, they, these people out here are a little mean. I, didn't we cover a case with uh, the UFO and those people were like being bullied and picked on because they seen a UFO out in this area? Mm -hmm. I'm not... I'm not I'm not giving that to Minerva. Minerva didn't pick on these people. Well, what's but it's very of... close. It's very close. It's just right. And you know what? This podcast is running before that podcast. So you uh, just gave away one well, of our I'll podcasts. Cut that off, then. <laughs> well, That's all right. Leave it as a teaser. to me as a reporter is that I called Malone College. So what happened to these hair samples? Did you? We never got any hair samples. When did you call them? At that time? You know, at that time, and I was trying to follow so the story. So in 78? Yeah, in 78. And then I would call down to the Minerva Village Hall and talk to people there. And 
Oh, that's not even anywhere near Minerva. It was right outside the village limits. Men in Black came in and took away the hair samples. But um, (laughs) it's those Wright Patterson Air Force people (laughs) that poo pooed the UFOs. Don't be giving clues to our next podcast. What are you talking about? Yeah, Malone College disassociated (laughs) themselves just about any knowledge of any samples. And the village kept distancing itself. Oh, that's nowhere near us, and we have nothing to do with it. And you Isn't know, that pushing funny it how away. People, what is it? Why do humans react that way? <laughs> and now you have okay. This is a good point. So eventually, Minerva came to embrace it, mm-hmm. and the way the Rogues Hollow people yeah. came to embrace, exactly. you know, their reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys had a festival for how many years? Um, when the movie came out and then they decided okay. to make a festival for a couple of days. And then I think it was the year after too. And I think there was supposed to be one this year, but, uh, unfortunately they canceled it cause they had something, a brew fest or something going on instead. Okay. So, um, it was supposed to be an annual event. And if you go into Kishman's grocery store, um, there's a picture of the owner and his wife of a life-size picture of the Min- what they call the Minerva monster is a giant hoagie. So, um, what is hoagie, an hoagie? Hoagie sandwich. Oh, a like hoagie! A- oh, man, I want a Minerva monster. Submarine sandwich. <laughs> yes. You know what? He's a vegetarian. I'm not sure you should be naming meat subs. Like yeah. yeah, he yeah. would not like that. Maybe a nice salad. Mm-hmm. Nice but salad. we have Minerva monster t-shirts. How about a salad that yards. smells of ammonia? There you Can we go. work that out? That would be nice. So t-shirts, yeah. T-shirts and yeah, mugs and the whole... I love the movie oh poster. That was very... Yes. That came out really well. Yes, and the fact that I was in the movie, I think, was even scarier than the whole monster concept, but I, I was... You were amazing. Way too and much. you know what? You're <laughs> as much a part of the story as anything, because you were there, and... Other media, at first, they were hesitant to jump they on board, right? They didn't want to jump on board, and the, the repository didn't get in until Why do you think that was? A couple do you weeks think later, they just did it? Oh, it too was weird? Just, this is too weird. This is too crazy. It's obviously a hoax. Wow. So they didn't report it for a while. And you gave them a voice, which is what journalism does. You I give guess, voice yeah. to people who don't normally have the opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. And yeah. because you did... If you hadn't, who knows? This the Minerva monster would not be around. No, probably as a probably, as a legend. You, you said you were you went out to where this bedding was, right? Mm-hmm. I want to go dig there. I bet you the I bet you the lost French gold is there. Ooh, oh. yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, could, could be. Could All be. right, there you I go. think we're putting that. To, wait a minute, you just gave another <laughs> world uh, podcast. Yeah. That one will come out. Yes, yeah. if you you would have heard our French gold podcast by now. Right. Well, Minerva's from, obviously a cool place because we've been here twice. So, well, from the journalism point of view, though, and even though this was, you know, as a cub reporter forty years ago, it has apparently become the highlight of my journalism career. You know, never mind that I went to Haiti and Israel and interviewed Mother Teresa and interviewed Aileen you interviewed Bissell Mother Teresa. Wow. None of that matters. I am only known for the Minerva Monster oh, stories. Oh, isn't that funny? You you interview <laughs> one of the most important women in history. And you're known for the Minerva Monster. I am known for the Minerva Monster, yes. Wow. That is the highlight of my journalistic career now. I'm sorry, we are Ohio Mysteries, so... (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for mysteries, or we wouldn't have a podcast. That's right. If you could meet the Minerva Monster, Mm. and he could speak Mm -hmm. as a reporter, what are your, like, top two questions for him? Um, Or her? What is your purpose... And why are you so shy? 
That's a good question. I like that second question. I, I have the answer to the second question. Okay. Because of the people with the bear and the shotgun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, you did. You just solved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mystery solves, yes. Although apparently he doesn't know what the shotgun is. Because he does true. not flinch mm-hmm. on that. That's thing, true. Which I find fascinating. That's it for tonight, campers. If you want to know more about the Minerva Monster, check out the photos, news clippings, and links on ohiomysteries.com. If you like our podcast, please spread the word. We are on Facebook and Twitter and would be so grateful if you would like, follow, share, or retweet us to your friends and family. Heck, all of it. We'd love to have them join us. And if you really like our podcast, our website has a link to our Patreon page where you can support us for as little as a dollar a month and we'll give you a shout out right here. Any money we get goes towards equipment, server fees, and research costs. That brings us to tonight's featured musical artist, Daniel Rylander. Daniel has been involved in several Northeast Ohio bands over the years as a drummer, vocalist, and primary lyricist. And because he wanted to be fuller involved in his songwriting, he even taught himself to play the piano, guitar, and ukulele. Do you play an instrument, Steve? Um... I'm not going to comment. I did play the guitar, but I did play the clarinet when I was a kid. The clarinet? There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, there is. Make it some music. (laughs) Sadly, Daniel's older brother, David, was killed in action in Afghanistan in 2012. And that led him to record a song called A Friend and Brother. And that set in motion a whole series of things that led to Daniel back into the studio and recording some full-length albums. So go check out his music at www.danielrylander.com. Let me spell that for you because I always hate when people don't spell out websites and I'm like, how do you spell that? Right. So it's Daniel and the last name R Y L A N D E R.com. And if you want to see Daniel in person, you can check him out at the Barrel Run Winery in Rootstown on October 27th and at Compass Coffee in Akron on October 31. Uh, 27th, that's my birthday. Oh, Maybe I'll take you there for your birthday. (laughs) But as always, if you can't remember any of those details or just some of it, go to ohiomysteries.com and look under our featured music link. It's a one-stop shop there. For now, we'll leave you with the full version of the song right now. And we'll see you back here next week.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.